Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we've been watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we are once again doing something a little bit different from our normal routine. So if you are not already aware, we're currently on a little bit of a break. Um, and rather than just go radio silent for three weeks straight, we have a pre-recorded episode for you in between yes. the weeks. Uh, and this is going to be about two of our all-time television faves, uh, yep. Mad Men and 30 Rock, which are both workplace series with complicated protagonists. You know, among the sea of stuff that is coming out, everything that's new, we just wanted to touch back to the TV shows that made us who we are today. Honestly, <laughs> like the ones that broke our brains for the better. That's a nice um, way of putting it. I mean, it, it's, it, I, I'm gonna say if, like, I think for me, Mad Men was one of the shows that made me want to be a TV writer. So mm. uh, it definitely has a huge impact. But yeah, I mean, we, we're just going back because sometimes you need to study a little bit before you become a person of the future. You know, you have to look back and see what taught you. Yeah. Um, so here yeah. we are. And these yeah. are like constantly in in the rotation. Like they will never fully die out of it. So yeah, they won't. Saying that because this is a, a one-off special from us, uh, we're not going to be doing any culture notes. So uh, uh, apologies for that in advance. This yeah, is if that's if that's what you tune in for every week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you Sorry imagine like people point. just people just skip forward like forty minutes and they just go straight to the culture notes? Yeah, they're like, what are they going to say about Benefer this week? Uh, yeah. What's going on with this lab, etc. Etc. <laughs> That's fair, man. Whatever gets the uh, the count up is good yeah, and uh, we have timestamps for a reason. So you know, follow exactly. your heart. So we're gonna get right into it because uh, we love these shows. Tell me, Pellin, what are you gonna be talking about? Mad Men is my pick. I sent you like a short list of my favorite TV shows of all time, and mm. this was your selection, which made me really happy because I, I, I think if I had to pick one at one TV series that I would say is my favorite of all time, it would it would be Mad Men. So mm. shout out to you for your selection. <laughs> yeah, and um, we can. Um, I think maybe we'll include we can include your your short list. In in oh, our yeah. newsletter as a little bonus. You have a short list too, right? I guess I could come up with one. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> right. Um, so Mad Men, unfortunately, there's no real easy way of watching it anymore. It came off of US Netflix. I think it's on UK Netflix, maybe, or Canadian Who knows? Um, But basically, you can watch it if you get IMDb TV. I don't know how much that costs a month. I'm going to guess around seven to ten bucks, something like that. Yeah, Um, you can probably rent the seasons on mm -hmm. like Amazon or something too. Yeah, totally. You you definitely can. And um, you know, if you have AMC Plus, I think it's definitely on there because this is an AMC show. Um, yeah, I guess shout out to like the three people in the world who might have AMC Plus. Exactly. Um, <laughs> just just massive Mad Men and Breaking Bad fans. Um, so for those that don't know, this is created by Matthew Weiner, who was a writer on The Sopranos. That's how he got his like big break. Mad Men is extremely critically lauded. It has won four Golden Globes and 15 Emmys, just to name some. It is a workplace period drama that's set over a 10-year period between 1960 and 1970. And it's kind of like about the inner workings of an ad agency in New York. Mad Men being the... the, You see this in the pilot. It's the the nickname Nickname, for... Yeah, exactly. um, For 
advertising men, aka ad men, mad men. Oh, and Madison Avenue. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all a lot of the agencies are typically in Madison Ave in Manhattan. Yeah, and it, and with with through that lens of that workplace drama, you kind of find out about the inner inner lives of those that work there, and namely the protagonist, uh, our lovable, <laughs> hateable creative director <laughs> Don Draper. So this show ended in 2015, and during the first year of the pandemic, 1920, uh, 1920, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has been 102 years since the pandemic started. No, in 2020, many people found themselves kind of reaching for the salve of perfect TV, whatever they think perfect TV is. You know, some people watch The Sopranos, some people watch The Americans, um, some people watch Breaking Bad. For some, it was all of those shows. Hi, that's me. <laughs> I watched all of my favorites. <laughs> but, you know, Mad Men proved to be, I think, the biggest comfort of them all. Did you did you do a pandemic rewatch of Mad Men or no? Yeah, so I watched it from beginning to end during the pandemic early on also. I think this is my second total watch, like a complete watch. So by now I've watched Mad Men through two times, maybe a little bit more one-off episodes here and there. Mm. Uh, but what about you? How many total watches do you have from beginning to end? I think I've watched it three or four times. Nice, nice. Yeah, man. It's just at any point, if you have seen it once, if you drop in at any point, you're like, you watch one episode out of any given season, you're like, I have to, I have to run it back. I have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially great because of the way that time works in this. Like, I think when it first came out, I'm not sure if people knew that it was going to be over the span of a decade. Because when it first got greenlit by AMC, it was meant to be like a 13 series order. Like that, that's what, uh, season order, sorry. Which they, it ended after seven. So I'm, I don't know if that was the intention of the show in the first season. But as a season's progress, you jump time. So you get to see the steady and slow progression. To shout her out again, um, Alison Herman wrote a piece about the way that people were watching this over the pandemic. But part of that skip of time is the fact that I think a lot of people were going through something historical, which every, you know, everybody was going through something historical during the pandemic. And the thing about Mad Men is, between 1960 and 1970, a lot of fucking shit happened in the world, especially in America, whether it's the Cuban Missile Crisis, whether it's, you know, several assassinations of very, very important people, a war was happening at the same time that was like much contested by people. So it's just, you get to watch these people in their ordinary lives, like going to work, in their marriages, in their relationships, having to like deal with whatever's going on in the country or the world at that time as well. And it just kind of gives you a bit of perspective. And I think that was part of the comfort too. It wasn't really the comfort for me personally, but I get why I get why people find that part of it comfortable uh, or like comforting. Sorry. So I'm, it's not a comfort watch for me necessarily, because for comfort watches, I tend to gravitate towards sitcoms, you know, comedies, stupid shows, stupid or cute shows, like things where I don't really have to to think that much or to feel that many uncomfortable yeah. uh, feelings. Mad Men does not really fall in that category, but it is a series that I really, I really love nonetheless, because I mean, in part precisely because it is not background sort of comfort watch. It demands all of your attention fully. Yeah. And yeah. everything from 
like the set dressing to the costumes to mm-hmm. you know the direction to the the slow creep of like light and shadow that they use so this excellent writing and performances yeah like yeah. they deserve uh complete and full attention and so yeah. whenever i do watch this i have to basically dedicate a, a period of my life to it uh i'm like okay this period of my life i'm gonna be watching mad men fully yeah. and completely yeah it's like a perfect orchestra it really is like let's i mean just a, a quick tangent uh let's talk a little bit about john ham because this was oh, his, right. his breakout role mm-hmm. and i don't think he's had anything come close to this you know no. he's he's had his uh he likes comedy and he's obviously in 30 rock which we'll be talking about in a little bit and like various other comedy shows um and he's been in films playing you know i don't know an fbi agent of some kind but nothing's ever come close to this and this is truly one of those roles where it's like james bond like once you're james bond can't really be anything else in a way like it's so ingrained in who he is yeah in a way that i don't know maybe some people would say is like detrimental to his career but i don't know if he like totally minds like he does seem to gravitate towards a lot of stranger parts yeah. like it's it's almost that that sort of thing that people say about brad pitt right you know it's like mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. a very handsome man like he's a leading man's face but in the the mind of like someone who wants to play like a character actor or something like that yeah john ham i think is similarly handsome masculine looking dude but uh chooses some weird roles and yeah yeah this is definitely sort of like the defining uh role for him Uh, some people are like should he have taken this role because it's ruined him he wasn't going to be doing anything other than this mate like this was true like he was truly struggling before he got this role and i really think that nobody else could have played don draper apart from john ham like truly it's just you cannot separate it some people play the game of like who who else could have done it i don't even know like i don't even know i th- I feel like maybe jude law if he put on an accent um mm. because he he has that kind of charming handsomeness that even if he's terrible you, you understand why people around him excuse his terrible behavior but like that's about it man but going back to the show one of the strengths of this show is the way that it has such a strong handle on its themes, um, especially the themes that it wants to explore within that the certain confines of this time period and, and certainly of this certain world and of this certain protagonist. But, you know, some some of the themes a lot, like my favorites that they try and explore is obviously like social mobility, mm-hmm. alienation, especially in the American dream or in capitalism, yeah. masculinity, obviously feminism what that means for for the women in this i just think the strength of it is that it does all of that with like a lot of levity and we talk about like the orchestra of the characters like none of this would be possible with the incredible character work the way that the characters are written how different they are from one another Mm -hmm. their little like idiosyncrasies are so specific to them so saying that Mm -hmm. do you have a favorite character or characters in mad men that you want to shout out and tell me why tell me why you love them Wow. Of course, this is like a question that you have to ask, but God, it's, it's so hard because these, these characters, they feel so, they feel so incredibly real, mm. uh, down to the flaws, like their biases, their bigotry in some case versus their, a different set of maybe more progressive values that they may have or mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, all of these are sort of dancing around in one single person as they do in, in real people. I think I, I I have a bit of a soft spot for for Joan, uh, forever by the wonderful Christina Hendricks. Forever, 
Yeah. I also I love uh, Kenny's character mm. for some reason, Aaron Staten. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but then I mean, like Peggy, of course, you got to shout out Peggy. Yep. You know, Pete is so hilarious and, and horrible in so many ways, and and surprisingly, like the most modern in other ways. Uh, Betty is so such a tragic figure. Yes. I mean, I could really yes. you could say anything about any one, single one of these characters and. They really do. They're such fully fleshed out beings. Um, yeah, yeah. What about and, you? I mean, Joan is my favorite female character in this by far. Like, I understand the Peggy fandom. I love her too, but I I feel like the Peggy fandom has kind of gotten a, a little bit out of hand. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, whether whether fans of Peggy are more annoying than Peggy herself, um, and Peggy is very annoying. Uh, if you if you watch it enough times, you'll realize she's she's really annoying. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Everyone has to has to cop to that. Yeah, I just love Joan's philosophy mm-hmm. in about the world, about you know, about sex and what that means for her, and the way that she uses it, and like her desires, and just the way that her life kind of ends up. And bear in mind, like I'm talking about this with the full arc of their characters throughout the seasons up until the mm-hmm. season finale. You know, I, I think. I just love where she landed, um, and I think she deserves the world. Um, yeah. Out of the incredibly guys, strong character, incredibly strong. It's just, just so self-assured. Just exactly who you want to root for, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when things don't go her way, you understand that it's not necessarily because of her fault. It's just about the men around Society. her. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I think out of the men. <laughs> Roger Sterling, baby. Oh, oh my me too, god! Yeah. Oh my god! What a prick! He's such a like again. Like you mentioned, their their problematic nature. These these are white people in the fucking sixties, you know. Yeah. And some of them are already in their fifties and sixties too. When we meet them, they're gonna be racist. Like so, yeah. there there are racist elements to every single one of these white characters. Yeah. Which makes um, it realistic, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't, like, I just, yeah. I, I mean, I don't even want to entertain that argument. Yeah, not um, even part of this Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, Roger obviously hates Japanese people. <laughs> um, but he is truly, like, I think I watched a video on YouTube that I will link, and it kind of talks about how Roger was one of the advertising men of a previous generation that's kind of dying out, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a really good assessment of him and his emotional state because he's, you know, he's he's a rich man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been a rich man. Mm-hmm. He comes from money, but he has a fantastic sense of humor. And him and Don's relationship is, is pretty amazing to me. Uh, every time they're in a scene together, it's just like, banter 101 you know mm-hmm. like yeah they're fantastic um, john slattery is so charismatic oh my God. Like, like speaking of i feel like he's just playing himself in this like straight up i just feel like just in terms of his like charisma that's mm-hmm. gotta be him no he's he's fantastic he's still the hottest person out of everyone i would say <laughs> um big born, up to born, and, fox. And born and will die silver fox yeah <laughs> for sure uh anyway you know this is we're kind of ruminating around Donald Draper, who is the protagonist, and we've talked about John Hamm, but Don Draper is truly like, in terms of the anti heroes, he's another example of how people kind of like took him to be somebody that they should aspire to be, especially idiotic men that watch this show. Uh, but when you watch it enough times, you realize that he's actually just a therapist's dream. You know what I mean? Like, he has so much trauma, he has done so much wrong in his life. And has tried to do so much right 
he considers himself a man of integrity and then obviously he isn't. He's just like a man of paradoxes, you know? And that's why we love him. Uh, and that's why he's such a compelling protagonist. But I don't want to focus too much on him. I feel like enough has been said about Don Draper. I want to talk about Don's women. Because mm. as anybody that has watched this show knows, uh, Don is perpetually cheating on his wife, whoever his wife might be. And I know we've talked about our favorite characters, but I do want to talk a little bit about Don's women. Uh, not counting his wife and uh, Peggy. So I think he like maybe stuck with 12 or 13 women that got screen time and had lines over the over the seven series. Do you have a favorite out of these women? And if so, why? And you said, I, I can't choose Betty. I can't, you cannot I choose, can't Betty, choose no. Megan either. No, no, you could uh, choose Megan. You could choose Megan oh, because interesting. it's the side chicks that I'm interested in. And I think Megan is still qualifies as a side chick in one portion of this. So That's true. Yeah. Well, I guess the biggest enigma, I think, certainly in his life, uh, in terms of his women, was Rachel Mencken, right? The, mm-hmm. Who was basically one of the first, yep. you know, potential side pieces to, to pop up. And she was played by the wonderful Maggie Siff, who later she departed, you know, she went on to do other projects, so she was mm-hmm. no longer involved in the show, so they kind of wrote her out. But I thought the way that they wrote her out was really interesting, because yeah. it seemed yeah. to play, it, they really made it a pivotal part of Don's character development and his arc, yeah. and the yeah. way that he is totally, like, he's he's losing it at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. Seeing this, especially, like, seeing this woman who he... He could have loved. He could have maybe seen a life with at some point. Um, yep. Although their 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 paths crossed so briefly, uh, dies in the show. Spoiler. Yeah. So yeah, I thought the way that they handled that was really well done. For it, yeah. really well considered. Yeah. For <laughs> considering it's just like a you know a cast member departing, and it really sort of makes it clear for him like it fits Don's whole deal thematically. Like there are just so mm-hmm. many holes in his life. And yeah. things that he'll never get back, these gaping wounds. And this is just yeah. one more of them. Yeah. And I think the thing about Don's women is that he always falls for women that are smarter than him. Um, mm. And it never works out because they're all too smart for him. And I think Rachel was the first woman out of, I think, a couple that kind of told him exactly who he was to his face and like just clocked him completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I, I just think it obviously could never have worked because Rachel was too good for Don, and she knew that from the beginning. Yeah, um, but he loved her all the more for all the that. more exactly. Yeah, because yeah. he's just like <laughs> he just needs someone to tell him what to do because he's so tired of being like the one in control that he just needs to kind of relinquish that control every now and again. Um, and that, that, that's why I think he resents Betty, and that's why he started resenting Megan too. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, I think going off of that riff of like women that are smarter than than him, Rachel was definitely my favorite. Um, and then my second favorite is Faye, Doctor Faye. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the two blondes, I think, because he's a brunette girl um, mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, but one of the two or three blondes, I think, that he he hooked up with, and she's the contract uh, strategist that they hire in. She says some of the most cutting lines to him. Obviously, the way that their relationship played out is extremely harsh for her because I think there was a part of her that hoped and then he took a massive left turn and went straight for Megan instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she said the lines, I hope she knows that you only like the beginning of things, which is extremely true. And that is Don through and through. So shout out to her. 
going from there, do you have a certain season, a favorite storyline, or even a favorite episode? I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts. Good question. I think I'm I'm fascinated in part by the the sort of quasi spiritual transformation that Don goes through when mm. he is journeying towards the West to California. Yeah, yeah, and that that comes towards like the tail end of the series Mm -hmm. but just like every time he returns there and to see his quote-unquote wife or not his wife but uh, the wife of the actual don draper yeah when he returns to that home when he goes on that really weird like wild journey with a bunch of like wealthy foreign people in the middle of california when he goes to that retreat yeah everything that happens in california i found really fascinating especially as like a sort of not just like a bi-coastal thing east coast versus west coast but also as like a shifting tide in in the time period or whatever is signified yeah Uh, yeah yeah. what about you palin that's so interesting because obviously like that's done outside the realm of his professional world yeah which is so deeply tied to new york Mm -hmm. yeah and like when when he goes on a road trip and then gets like uh you know those army guys that the, yeah he gets and that, robbed that whole, and, yeah he gets robbed and then they they beat him up and everything mm-hmm. uh, d- just the, those moments feel so surreal you're absolutely and sinister right, yeah. yeah very scary in its sense very yeah very out of body very surrealist mm-hmm. um every time it's it's so good good shout yeah um i mean i think i'm very very unoriginal in this so many people have shouted out the episode the suitcase which is in seventh episode of the fourth season this is the this is the episode where peggy has a birthday dinner that she has to go to but don keeps her behind for the samsonite account uh to try and to to try and figure that out and it's basically I, i think you can call it a bottle episode where it's just the two of them trying to figure something out they spend the whole night together and then they wake up um, in the office together. I, th- I think it's a perfect episode of TV. I think it's a perfect episode of Mad Men. It encapsulates exactly what is amazing about it, which is character work, uh, the little idiosyncrasies of the two characters and, and how they kind of play against and with each other at the same time. You know, Don and Peggy's relationship is one of the most fascinating things that you see progressing, mm-hmm. but you don't really catch it when you watch it the first time around because you're so caught up in don for the most part uh it's only upon like second or third rewatch where you really see how the seeds are sown from the early seasons all and how those how those kind of like sprout and then turn into like really beautiful shrubs all the way up until the last season they're both like incredibly similar if you think about it you know Mm -hmm. like peggy does something in the first season that is irreversible that a lot of people at that time would would judge her incredibly harshly for uh don obviously has committed identity fraud during the war and they both are very talented at what they do and they're definitely very very careerist they use their careers to reinvent themselves into the person's person that they want to be so to see them clash especially because it's like a mentor mentee relationship is fascinating I, I i love i love that arc and i think the suitcase is one of the most like perfect episodes for it mm-hmm. um I want to talk a little bit about Matthew Weiner because I think we'll talk about this with Tina Fey late, later, but Matthew Weiner didn't really go on to do anything after this apart from the Romanoffs, which barring two episodes, I think everybody from the <laughs> cultural consciousness just kind of like looked away uh, to save embarrassment <laughs> just because it, it really was such a disappointment um, mm. for, for many people, including me. 
apparently he had like a half hour dramedy that was meant to be coming out on FX, but it got killed because of the pandemic and it just never came back. So as far as I know, Matthew Weiner does not have anything going on. There's obviously like the misconduct allegations that his former assistant and co-writer on the show back in 2017 which he, you know, firmly denies. So th- it's like there's a little bit of a bad taste left in everybody's mouth um, with Weiner now. I just, I'm curious because as far as I'm concerned, like if you create something as great as this, do you need to follow it up? <laughs> you know, I think it's totally fine if we don't see anything more from Weiner after this. Um, yeah. It's mean, just it's, fascinating, it's, isn't it? It's impossible. It's almost impossible to follow up. Yeah. Something you can't like top this, it. Which is, no, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sort it. of the trap in, in yeah. some sense. And then maybe that's what drives so many of these artists and creators kind of, it drives them like bonkers down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like this is a thorn in their side that they can sort of never overcome. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe others will be more well adjusted. They can sort of be fine with what they have created and brought to the world and know that it is among the best, the greatest. Um, yeah. And maybe they can be fine and live with that. Yeah. But others, exactly. others can't. You know, no, artists are not known to be the most well-adjusted people. Oh, no. Especially not someone like Weiner, who, like, apparently took all of the credit. Which, when you watch The Suitcase, is definitely, like, an interesting lens to watch it from when you know this yeah. about him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, if you've never seen Mad Men, I'm sorry for spoiling basically the entire thing for you. Uh, but, you know, get a grip. It's worth a watch, anyway. watch. It, it doesn't matter. You know, the spoilers really don't fucking matter. Yeah. Um, please watch it anyway. And for all my Mad Men fans... Let me know who your favorite characters are, favorite episodes are. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. Jenny, what's your favorite favorite show that you'd like to chat about? I want to talk about 30 Rock. Uh, I believe it's available to stream on Peacock, Netflix, maybe Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally you can find this floating around on the internet, you know, if you know where to look. So... 30 Rock, if you're not aware, is a satirical sitcom that aired on NBC from 2006 to 2013 for seven seasons, or mm-hmm. 139 episodes. It's created by and starring Tina Fey, based on her time as head writer of SNL. Mm-hmm. So she plays Liz Lemon, who is also head writer for a live sketch comedy show called TGS that stars... Jenna Maroney, played by Jane Krakowski, Tracy Jordan, played by Tracy Morgan, and Liz also works with producer Pete Hornberger, who's played by Scott Adsit, network executive Jack Donaghy, played by Alec Baldwin, yeah. um, a whole, you know, writer's room of miscellaneous, incompetent writers, <laughs> and NBC page Kenneth, played by Jack McBrayer. So this series follows Liz as she more or less tries to have it all which means a whole lot of struggling to balance work and personal life, especially because work is literally just nonstop shenanigans that demands all of her attention. And her personal life is also a mess uh, because various character flaws, chronic yeah. love life problems, all of those kind of things. Yeah. So it's like slice of like work- workplace comedy. It is one of my, not, not even one of my, I'll say it's my favorite sitcom of all time. Nice. Just no qualifications uh, needed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how far are you in your watch of this, Palin? So I've seen a couple of episodes of, I think I've seen half of season three, but I went back and started watching season one and two. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm basically three seasons in. I'm working my way through it, babes. I, so <laughs> I, di- I honestly did not know that 30 Rock was a thing until you told me that you loved it. Cause I'm not, 
a sitcom person. Yeah, you're not a sitcom person. No, it's no. fair. It's fair. Yeah. It's a very specific period in like the the golden era of NBC mm-hmm. sitcoms more or less. Like there is yeah. there's this, there's the office, there's like Parks and Rec, like they all overlapped each other and you know, people from similar circles and like the comedy world gravitated towards all of them. Yeah. It is in a very specific uh point in time and also like sensibility. Yes. Um so the reason I like this so much, I think, is number one, the writing, like the joke writing yeah. is yeah. is so good. Like yeah. In, terms of sheer density you get like a dozen zingers per minute um i I think the only other series i've watched that has come close to this in terms of just like the sheer amount of laughs per minute is probably veep yeah and that's a lot different like a a much sharper and i i think like uh more like cyanide laced kind of acid sort of humor yeah yeah yeah. um but yeah the the joke Jokes are so good in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't even pick a, a favorite one exactly because there are so many. And every time, inevitably, these like threads pop up on on Twitter or people do these like TikToks of just like clips of the best jokes from it. And every time like someone mentions a new one, I'm like, "Yep, that was really good. That yep. that was a really really good one." But yeah, since you're more in recently, I guess watching this, Pollen, uh, have there been any favorite humor moments for you? Uh, Kenneth. Oh, Kenneth. Yes, Kenneth's whole deal. I feel like show me your favorite 30 Rock character and you'll know what kind of humor I like. (laughs) Uh, Mm. Kenneth is a fucking goofball and I'm extremely into goofball humor. And don't get me wrong, like this is a very goofy, funny show in general, just in terms of like the jokes are smart, but they are like stupid, you know, like they're funny because they're stupid because everyone's like low key, just a bit of an idiot. Mm -hmm. But Kenneth is so earnest (laughs) and just so distinctly himself. I don't think I've ever seen anybody like him you know so mm-hmm. K- kenneth is my favorite do you do you have a fa- i know that you said you just said that you don't really have one but do you in terms of jokes um yeah in terms of like funny see. tracy mm. tracy has a lot of really great one-liners um, yes part which they can do partly because he is such a larger than life absurd sort of person uh, yeah. i think also you'll find in earlier seasons they made him smarter like they sort of yeah dumbed him down as the seasons progress at uh, the same thing as they do with uh jenna they basically they kind of make all the existing characters slightly more even bigger like caricatures of yeah. their yeah. original conceptual uh selves mm-hmm. um so but i mean especially towards the earlier seasons tracy had a lot of actually like quite funny but also very uh smart like kind of deadpan kind of lines yeah yeah um which they, you know, it progresses. The humor progresses throughout the show. I will say that it it gets a little bit more broad at times. It gets more absurd. They definitely sort of mm-hmm. lean into the kind of more absurd, absurdist, and surreal elements as the series yeah. progresses. Yeah. Um, but never in a way that I think is to its detriment too much. Although some people might be like, what happened between this season and that season? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Tracy has a lot of great moments. Jenna is like... Her, the kind of humor that surrounds Jenna is a very particular kind, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but yeah. I can appreciate some of that. I don't know. There's just there's just so many good things. I love Kenneth too, of course. Um, yeah. And I think that brings me to my next point of what I really like about this show, which is that the characters are so distinct. Yeah, they are based on sort of like broader tropes, um, characters, like I said, but they I don't know the things they say are so funny, yeah, and they are just so 
different from each other, even in a cast of like wild and ridiculous, uh, the most, you know, idiotic or, or absurd characters. Uh, they just become iconic for me. Like they, it's not even like you can point at this character and say, Oh, they're too flat because yeah, duh. It's they're They're the most extreme versions of whatever trope that they're supposed to be. Yeah. That's kind of how the show works. I feel like the way that they workshop it is they're like, who would, what would a person like this say? They would say this. Okay. How do we make that funnier and smarter in its delivery? And surprising too. Yeah. Like startle a laugh out of you because you're like, this fits them, but I wasn't expecting them to go that way. Exactly. Yeah. You know who Tracy reminds me of a lot, actually? Uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character in Atlanta, just in terms of like, just, yeah, just like really quirky, really like out of left field, but what he's saying is really real at the same time, even though he's saying it in a really like weirdo way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they can like, they they can saddle them with the most outrageous stuff, but they can Mm -hmm. also saddle them with like these out of left field moments of like, uh, you know philosophy or you know intellectual you know curiosity or something like that and part of the part of that is the joke you know that like oh someone like this who's so random like can come up with that um yeah but yeah i i think that's totally you know it's fitting because donald glover of course his big start in terms of writing at least was on 30 rock oh no way so yeah, yeah. I think he was only, I think he was still in college when he got a job on the writing, like in the writer's room for the show. Damn. Yeah. And Good for him, he man. has a couple of, I think he has maybe one or two like uh, cameos throughout the series. Nice. And I believe he wrote a lot of Kenneth's jokes or Kenneth's best jokes. Like, mm. um, something like they had, had some of their backgrounds in a way, like being from Georgia and, and things like that. So yeah, yeah, you might find a lot of, like that sort of DNA imprinted onto Donald Glover and, and Atlanta, the things yeah. that he went on to do after this. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. This show just has a really special place in my heart. I'll say like almost similar to you with Mad Men. It really made me truly love TV, like just mm-hmm. the concept of TV and television. And for a time, like when I was younger, you know, in college and stuff, I applied to all these NBC internships whenever I was like, I, I oh, just no want to be on a writer's room, like in, yeah. in 30 rock and stuff like that, which of course isn't re- like real life necessarily, but that was the kind of world that I wanted to inhabit. Yeah. And the first yeah. time I went to the Rockefeller center, I think to visit some person I had like begged to get coffee with me as like a student or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was just in like awe at the fact that I was in 30 rock in, in like yeah. the NBC offices. And it was yeah. just, Really naive of me at the time, but some part of me is still like, yeah, I guess, but maybe someday, you know. (laughs) Tina Fey, if you're listening, my girl wants a job in a writer's room for a sitcom. Make it happen. Sure, yeah. Come on, Tina, you're not doing anything else, babes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's true. That that is something that I I wanted to touch on also, which is this is Tina Fey's best work, I'd say to date. Yeah, like similar with. Mad Men, the the follow-ups just don't really stack up. She did Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, with her, you know, normal showrunner writing partner after this. That was disappointing. I watched all of it. It was, like, quite disappointing to me. But there's something about 30 Rock where, you know, Tina Fey lived this world through SNL. She really knew these things so intimately. She knew how to satirize and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make parodies out of these things and do it in a way that was both 
cutting, but also at, at its core, you could tell she really loved these things. Yeah. Whereas, like, in other examples, like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, like, some of the stuff that she was satirizing, it was, like, it, it feels a little bit heartless in a way. Like, yeah. you don't feel really that her closeness to any of it, whether in the familiarity of the way it informs her joke, the jokes that, that ended mm-hmm. up on that show, or mm-hmm. just, like, her having any sort of warmth or affection for the things that she was supposedly making fun of at the same time. Mm-hmm. So... Great News is another show she went on to do. I just didn't get into that. Mr. Mayor is another recent one that I only watched a few episodes of, but it was just awful. I I couldn't Mm. get into it. Girls 5 Eva, we talked about that on a previous episode. It's, like, decent. um, Yeah. But that's pretty much the only way to describe it, right? Like, it's not not bad. Like, pretty okay. Yeah. 30 Rock just remains supreme and Mm -hmm. as far as like does it hold up well in this day and age it's it's up for debate i think there are definitely some elements and episodes and storylines that have obviously not aged well like they're not there's not just like one instance of blackface there there are are multiple there are like maybe two instances of it yeah um she's never been very good at like handling race and things like that which Of course, she's a white lady. Like she, she's a, a middle-aged liberal white lady, yeah. and that's actually part of the point. Like she, in the character of Liz Lemon, she makes the point multiple times to be like, actually, Liz Lemon is herself uh, the same kind mm-hmm. of racist that mm-hmm. a lot of liberal middle-aged white ladies are. But it, I have watched this entire se- series, like beginning to end, probably like six or seven times Jeez. by this point. <laughs> I know it's nice. It's sick. It's really sick. And I'm, no, I mean, I'm in that I, I good way. Have, I do have sickness. <laughs> I have a sickness when it comes to the show. Um, but also partly it's like, it's background watching. It's, it's half yeah. our episodes. It's really easy to get through. Yeah. But yeah. And I'll, I'll say for the large part, most of the series holds up well. The jokes are still largely as funny as they were 15 years ago yeah and yeah it's, no they are funny it is funny it's, it's like, a good time i'm also watching arrested development at the same time for the first oh, yeah. time and uh, you know 30 rock is is i i prefer it even though arrested development is very funny too it's, it's very funny just, yeah. there's just something about again like the orchestra of 30 rock that seems to work really well um, yeah. I see that in 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 our in our doc, you've prompted with favorite episode. Again, I'm only like yeah. halfway do you have through. One? Um, I do. Sandwich Day in season two. Oh, um, is really good. And the thing is, like, I like. I know that like I think The Office also had like Pretzel Day or some shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I love like a focus on a food item, very integral to like the tertiary plot. But yeah, I, I love this one, and you get to see Baby Jason Sudeikis in that one too for all the Ted Lasso fans. Yeah. yeah. So many, you know, so many love interests. John yeah, Hamm is like, in season three. What do you John mean? John Hamm is in here. Yeah. Uh, Jason Sudeikis. Yep. James Marsden is in this. Eventually, you'll get you'll get to him. I think later in the series, but mm-hmm. yeah, it has a lot of like quite big names like in comedy, especially at the mm-hmm. time, like some A listers who pop through here. Yeah, and which was I think you can credit that to the fact that of course, like Tina Fey, like that whole crew, they probably they knew a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This was a huge critical hit at the time that it was airing. It was not such a ratings hit. Yeah, like it struggled with viewership, but I think it had has found new life i would say in this Mm -hmm. era of streaming where all these platforms they really need to have at least a few solid 
you know, sitcom comfort watches to yeah. always have on. Like that's yeah. a reason that the, the battle for friends and all of that. So yeah, I would say a 30 rock counts as one of those like core offerings for streaming platforms. Yeah. I think for better, for worse, it did inspire a lot of women to imagine themselves as a sort of Liz Lemon, which yeah. is ironic because Liz is not supposed to be a, particularly good person in this series a lot of the time like very knowingly yeah um but yeah what what do you make of the liz lemon i mean it's a very particular era that it belongs to where people like i'm such a liz lemon and they're proud of that or you know a kind of obama era i don't know like earnestness in terms of people who relate to these characters who they think are feminist icons in some way but well i mean definitely aren't not really necessarily uh, yeah i mean i think she is in her own way like for that context for, maybe for the, for the context of the time too because she is messy mm-hmm. she is kind of gross i love female characters that can't get shit right personally speaking i i, I think it's not everyday route for the woman but yeah i mean liz lemon walks so that like hannah horvath could run do you know what i mean like yeah. I, I definitely think <laughs> You know, I, I like that she's annoying. I like that I would never be friends with her if I knew her in real life. I, you know, um, I don't know if I like any male protagonist of any comedy or drama that I love. So I have a question for you in terms of like mm-hmm. its lasting impact. I think like something like The Office and Parks and Rec, I find Americans talking about these two and like I think like Brits too, so much more than 30 Rock. Why do you think that is? Like, wh- what do, what do you think makes those two different from this because they're all mm. workplace com- like half hour sitcoms yeah and they That's all have very question. distinct like ensemble casts yeah i do think that 30 rock kind of sits outside of those two a little bit you know you would think that they're all part of the this nbc golden era of sitcom yeah. sort of thing but 30 rock i'd say is a lot more uh acerbic than those two are in mm-hmm. the the american versions at least talking about the office yeah so those at its heart, you know, they're also plenty of jokes. There are also plenty of weird characters, uh, slightly annoying characters. But there's also the, also this sort of like core of sunniness to them or sentiment yeah. at, to them. Yeah. And 30 Rock, it has that certainly like elements, especially the, the longer you watch it, the more fond you, you grow of these characters. Yeah. But it's also a lot more biting in yeah. the things that it's satirizing. It's satirizing like like I said, like white liberalism through Liz and other characters. Yeah. It's satirizing businessmen, like Republican businessmen. Mm-hmm. It's, sat- it's satirizing uh, you know, elements of race and, and gender and class and all sorts of things that are very funny, but also, I guess if you think too hard about who is being made fun of, the people who are being made fun of, they might not be that uh, fond of us in that way. So, yeah, I don't know, I mean, there is just some sort of core. It makes people uncomfortable a little bit, you know? Yeah, there yeah. there is some sort of core because they're really making fun of whoever they can get their hands on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus those other shows, there are, everyone has their, their great moments, their annoying moments, uh, but there is a sort of sentiment, uh, like very sweet sentiment at the heart of those that definitely is not quite the the core foundation of 30 rock i would say which is what makes me like it but i do think like i have seen even among younger generations maybe they'll start appreciating 30 rock a little bit more i'm seeing more like clips on tiktok more uh you know people saying like wow i just discovered the show like why did no one (laughs) tell me about this which is like 
wild, but yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but I do think, yeah, the audience is probably a little bit smaller than those who want purely, uh, you know, good vibes from their kind of sitcoms. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, I think it'll still continue to have a long shelf life. And it, like you said, it did impact what sort of shows or characters came after it in a sense. Mm-hmm, like it, mm-hmm. culturally, it had a lot of impact, even if not viewership wise. Yeah. So I don't know. Here's to you, 30 Rock. I'll probably continue rewatching this show for the rest of my life. So that's it for us this week. We will be back in two weeks. Don't miss us too much if you do. Uh, watch some of the TV or films that we talked about in the previous episodes and re-listen to those episodes. If you are in the meantime in those two weeks span, of course, we will be watching everything that is coming out and overwhelming ourselves with it. But if there is anything that you think is under or over our radar, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or you can at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com. I will be eating loads of crumpets and bangers and mash and cottage pies while I'm in London. In the meantime, as always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and maybe tell a friend about us. Thank you so much. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Jijong. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.